Alright, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews. I was wondering what to preach on today. Do I give you a special Christmas message? Or do I continue with the passage we've been looking at in terms of a sanctified life? So I decided to go with the sanctified life and continue with that. And as you as you'd, uh, figured out, there's a Christmas message in there as well. So God manages to, uh, to do one and the same, one and the other. So if you open up to Hebrews chapter 13, read from verse 12 to 17, which is the passage we've been looking at over the last month or so. Hebrews 13, chapter 12. Oh, sorry, chapter 13, verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go, uh, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Let's pray before we go into this message now. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we might uh, be able to look into your word this morning, that we might be able to learn and be fed by it. And we ask this morning that your, teach, your Holy Spirit would teach our hearts and our minds and that we would be fully open to your truth. Lord, I pray that you use me to convey your truth to my brothers and sisters here this morning. And I thank you once again for this wonderful opportunity we had this morning to glorify you and to lift up the name of our only Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So over the past month or so, we've been looking at this, this, uh, the meaning of what a sanctified life is meant to be uh, looking like. And we, we discovered first up that when a person is saved, they are set apart for God. They are set apart as his own special possession. And what we wanted to then see was, well, what is, if that's true from an eternal point of view, sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect in terms of what the, the eternal is and what the temporal is. In other words, what's happened to us in terms of being saved and being justified and sanctified and all these things, sometimes we don't necessarily see how they work within our everyday lives. So we've, we've, we've tried to look at this passage so we can see a picture, the way God's, a picture that God's painting for us as to what a sanctified life or a set-apart life is meant to look like. And last message, that was before Brother Alan's message last week, we discovered, or we looked at, uh, verse 15, which said, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we looked at this term sacrifice last time. And we discovered, and we, we, we know that when it comes to sin, that Jesus fulfilled every sacrifice in the Old Testament that had to do with sin. There is no more sacrifice for sin today other than what was done for us once and for all on that cross. But there are other sacrifices. And we we saw that praising God was a sacrifice that he liked, that pleased him, that the fruit of our lips giving thanks is a sacrifice that God accepts today. 
not for sin, but as a consequence of our sin being taken away. And today we'll look at verse 16. And verse 16 says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for such sacrifices God is well pleased. Well, there's, there's more sacrifices now. There are other sacrifices that we can do that please God in our everyday lives. In a sanctified life, these form part of that walk. We're, looking, we're going to look at this particular verse today. Now, you'll notice that we're exhorted not to forget two things. The first in this verse is to do good. And the second is to communicate. We'll look at each of those two words a little bit more in depth. The first term has a very common meaning. It calls the believer to actions of service or acts of kindness. In other words, to seek the good of other people. It means that as Christians, we're to look for opportunities to seek the better of other peoples, to do good to them. And through that, doing good to other people, we worship God. And there are endless ways for us to be able to fill, fulfill this exhortation here. We can visit someone who's sick when we show hospitality, when we have people to, over to our home, for instance, and we cook for them, we provide for them. That's another form of doing good to people. When we help out people who are in need, another form of doing good. When we help, for example, the church, when we help in ministries, when we help to teach, when we help to set up the church on a, on a Sunday morning. It's a form of doing good. If you know someone's feeling down, you write them a note or a letter encouraging them. That's a form of doing good. But there are endless ways. There are so many ways to find of doing good to people. So in general, these acts of goodness are done in a manner to benefit someone else. Okay, So goodness, doing good or seeking good is done to benefit someone else. And that person, the scripture tells us, can be a Christian, can be a non-Christian, can be a family, could be friend, could be foe. It doesn't matter. The greatest example we have of doing good comes from Jesus Christ himself. Turn to Acts chapter 10, verse 38 for a moment. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10, 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus' whole ministry involved doing good to other people. I'll give you some examples. We know that the people that Jesus came in contact with were healed of their sicknesses. He healed people of sickness. He raised people from the dead. He fed people who were hungry. He cast out demons. He shared the words of God with them. He spent time with them, teaching them, instructing them. He is ultimately our best example of what it means to do good to others. 
And Jesus was not only an example of good, okay? Jesus taught very clearly that we are, and his followers are, to do good to other people. And his teaching went far beyond what was accepted in those days and what's even accepted now. It went far beyond the accepted norm for doing good because everyone understood that you do good to your friends, you do good to your family, you do good to those people that that are generally with you and support you as well and do good back to you. But he took it a step further. In fact, more than just a step further, he took it a long way further. He made, the, he made the obligation of doing good. He took it to a place that was counterintuitive, that was counter against what our normal self tells us to do. It made people downright uncomfortable. That's where Jesus said you had to do good. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. And we'll see about what he taught about doing good and to who. Matthew 5.43 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. The clear teaching over here in this particular passage is to do good to them that hate you. Now, let me ask you a question. How easy is that? Anyone have any problem with that? Anyone struggle with doing good to people that actually hate you? Yeah, yeah. I thought I was yeah, the only one. But I'm glad that you're all very spiritual out there. Doing good is an active thing, not a passive. You see, someone can be hateful toward you. Someone can hate you and do bad things toward you and you don't retaliate, right? That's passive. That's not doing anything. But doing good requires you to step and then do the opposite of what they've done to you. That's a lot harder. It's hard enough to hold back from retaliating. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So it's hard enough to hold back from vengeance. It's more difficult then to reverse that and go to that person who has done evil to you and hates you and actually to do something positively good for them. That's a challenge. That's a challenge that people find very difficult. See, I can avoid someone who hates me. But then to actively go and do something good for them, that takes effort. That takes creativity. That takes a humbling of yourself that is not natural in this world. Doing good to others is a significant measure of your maturity as a Christian. It's a fantastic measure of how mature we actually are as Christians and whether we're living a sanctified life or not. The Christian who walks with God behaves like God. 
continually seeking the good and betterment of those around them. That's the calling, to seek the good of everyone you come in contact with, regardless of whether they love you or they hate you, regardless of whether they're with you or against you, regardless of whether you like them or not. Because there are some people who just aren't likeable. But hey, God still calls us to love them. So doing good is seeking the betterment of those that you come in contact with each and every day, even those that despise and hate you. The mark of a genuine walk with the Lord along the path of life is this, to do good to those who hate you. How do we fare with well-doing to others when we compare ourselves to this particular standard? Difficult. How satisfied, how satisfied are we with our sacrifice to God in this respect? Because it says in this passage that God is pleased with that sort of sacrifice. Or is our sacrifice only to the ones who automatically give back to us? Is God really pleased with our good? Is our good good enough? Or is our good wrapped up in our own self-interest? You see, man is very, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's very easy for me to do good to someone when at the back of my mind, I know it's going to come back to me. It's easy to do that. It's almost like putting money in the bank and you know you're going to get a a guaranteed return from it. It's more harder to put money in someone's hand that you don't know even if you're going to get the original money back. This is the difference between doing good as an investment for ourselves or doing good for the betterment of someone else. You be the judge of your own goodness. You be the judge of your own efforts in terms of goodness. And it's always better to judge now than to be judged later. It's far better to please God in this life than to wait for the next, isn't it? Let's look at the next term. The next term is a really tricky one, though. Communicating. And I've asked a couple of people about this particular word because often I've read this word many times. I must have read it literally hundreds of times. And to be honest with you, I never really understood it. What does it mean to communicate? Does it mean to communicate what? What what am I communicating? Does it mean that I speak nicely to people? Uh, Maybe. Does it mean that I share the gospel? I mean, that communicating is part of sharing the gospel, isn't it? Does it mean to express good emotions and attitudes toward people? Well, yes and no. That's not what this word really means in this context. While all these things are good and do form a part of what it means to be a Christian, it isn't what this term really means in this passage. In fact, the term communicate, as I've dug in a little bit deeper, is not really used in this way at all in common language in our day. Let's have a look at a little bit more on this meaning of the word communicate. The Greek word, and some of you will recognise this word when I tell you, the Greek word translated communicate here is the word koinonia. Ever heard that word before? 
koinonia. You heard it, huh? It's been around the tribes. It's a fairly common Greek word and is generally translated fellowship, association, community, joint participation, the state of sharing mutual interests, experiences, activities in relation in which parties hold something in common, a gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution, as exhibiting an embodiment or proof of fellowship. Now that's what the meaning of the word is. To communicate means to impart to others, to give to others. That is, to share with them what you have. Would you have guessed it? The Greek word means to have something in common with, other, with others. It means to participate, take an interest in the endeavours and interests of these other people in such a way that it causes you to give liberally. We get our word community from this word as well, in common. The picture here is that there is such a common interest or that your interests match so clearly or so perfectly with someone else's interests that it forces you to give to their, for their interest. Giving is the emphasis of the, of the word here. But we also know that giving can entail money, material possessions, time, energies and friendships. So believers are exhorted to give of themselves and their possessions. It also forms a part of worship here. That's why, you know the, the tithe box we have at the back? That's a form of worship. That's this. Communicating. You're communic- when, you, when you put money in that tithe box at the back, you're communicating. And it's a form of worship between you and the Lord. Another illustration might be, you know how we support missionaries overseas? We have a common interest with them, don't we? And the interest is to see souls saved. So what we do is, though we can't be out there with them in the field, what we do is we contribute to their needs so that their needs are satisfied in terms of a place to live, clothing, food, so they can then share the gospel message. Let's look at some passages where this other term is used again. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter six. Verse seventeen. Now listen to what Paul says here. Charge them that are rich in this world. Now that richness doesn't mean spiritual richness, that, that richness means earthly riches. Okay, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Look at verse 18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. 
laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The rich are exhorted in this passage not to trust in their own riches, but they should, with their riches, be willing to share them with others, that they may build other riches for themselves up in heaven too. They're exhorted to distribute, be ready to distribute. What's that mean, ready to distribute? That's to distribute what you have in terms of material wealth. Be ready to distribute. Be ready to communicate, to give, to share what you have with those around you. In so doing, they get the blessing from it. Doing good. You'll notice in this passage, once again, there's a link between, look at verse 18, that they do good and communicate. That's the same in Hebrews. Notice notice there's a bit of a um, a parallel there in the same verse. Let's go to another passage. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Galatians 6 verse 6 says, Let him that is taught in the word, what does it say? What's your word there? Communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. That's doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Look at verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Now once again, the picture is exactly the same here. The picture is that those who teach the word should be blessed by those who hear the word. In other words... If you're hearing God's word and they're your teacher, you should share with them of your material possessions so they don't have to worry about their material possessions. You see, this was especially true in those days of people like travelling evangelists and also pastors who were, who were full-time pastors who lived off the gospel. They needed to live. They needed food and clothes and housing just like everyone else. So Paul's exhortation is here is is for the Christians to give liberally to them, share with them, communicate with them who taught them the word because in so doing, you're investing in what? You're investing in the spirit rather than the flesh. You see, there's a lot of things you can do with your money and possessions and wealth and time and everything else you have. Now Paul is saying... If you're going to do that, if you're going to invest in something, invest in that which is spiritual. That's why we we invest in things that are spiritual. We can invest. For example, we spend money to meet in this hall. Is that a spiritual investment? It is. It's a spiritual investment. We're using earthly material goods to invest in spiritual things. And the same goes for the books that we buy at the back, for the Bibles that we've bought, for the tracts that we buy to give out, for the ministries that we invest money in to actually promote the gospel as well. 
The list goes on and on and on. And this is the picture here, that the pastor or the evangelist who was coming to visit you was a worthwhile investment. The travelling evangelists, especially in the early, in the early church, relied on hospitality. They would travel from place to place. They relied on the generosity, the giving, the communication of people who were willing to take them in so the gospel could be shared. If they weren't shown hospitality, if they weren't fed, clothed, given a place to stay, how could they share the gospel? Let's go to one final passage. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. Now for Paul, this is where the rubber hit the road. Because this concerned him personally when it came to communicating and doing good. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now, at the last, your care of me has flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned that in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. I know, but I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now in that context, Paul is saying that he went through difficult times where he didn't have enough for his own needs. And he says to the Philippians, I am blessed and I rejoice that your care of me has flourished again. In other words, their care of him, their giving to him to provide for his material needs had taken a backward step. And now he says he's rejoicing that their care of him... What does it mean, their care of him? Was he with them the whole time? No. He was out planning churches. Paul reminds them that they used to take care of his needs. And that that had stopped for a while. Now he doesn't rebuke them. But says that at times, that at all times he was content and able to do all things through Christ. In other words... Even when he had nothing, Christ got the glory because the job got done. And Christ gave him the strength to do it. That was the picture. Now, go to verse 14. Now he says to them, Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Communicate? Did they send them a letter? Did they blow a trumpet and say Paul's, you know, Paul's preaching the gospel? No. They once again began to care for him in a material way. Verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So Paul was being supported, was expecting really to be supported by the churches. And the Philippians were the only ones. So now he was giving them a nice pat on the back, saying, you guys were the only ones who actually gave to my ministry so that I might share the gospel. 
Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Hang on, have you heard that before? Heard that somewhere before? A sacrifice well-pleasing to God? Eh, it's in Hebrews. that give you any indication who the author of Hebrews might actually be that keeps bringing up the same doing good and communicating and it's a sacrifice unto the Lord? Try and find that in any other writings. In this passage, Paul speaks about the Corinthian church providing in his afflictions. They provided material. They shared what they had with him so that he could get the job done. They provided for his necessities. So he equates communicating with gift giving. Communicating was equated with gift giving. And their gift was his supply. And he thanks them for the things which they sent him through Epaphroditus because he felt it was a sacrifice to the Lord. Now you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Because when it comes to communicating, communicating means to give and a gift. And what does that have to do with Christmas? In his book, a 17th century Scottish minister said, God hath long contended with the stubborn world and thrown down many a blessing upon them. And when all his other gifts could not prevail, he at last made a gift of himself. This is the story of a child in a manger. With all the evil and rebellion of man throughout the history of this world, God chose to give what was the most precious gift that he could give, the thing which was, which was most valuable to him. In this manner, he did the ultimate good to us. God communicated to us by sending his only son for us because he gave him to us. His love was so strong that he not only gave himself, but he entered into our predicament. The fellowship that he showed with us by coming to be a man was the greatest act of fellowship that you would ever see. You see, fellowship means to enter into or go into partnership with someone. God came into partnership, all right? God left, th- God left his throne and became a man. That's entering into partnership. That's entering into a fellowship. God showed exactly what his intentions were. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Yes, Eddie's favourite verse, for those of you who don't know. This prophecy was fulfilled with this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ was God's Christmas gift to the world, and God gave his very, very best. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. As we think of gifts and giving during Christmas time, because everyone, everyone's hearts turn to, what do I buy during Christmas time? What do I get for that person who has everything? What do I, you know, how much do I spend? What do I, how do I show my appreciation? How do I show my love? Let us meditate on this fact that God loved this world so much that he gave the very best that he had. He gave the thing that was most precious to him. Romans tells us that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, God's Christmas present to us never stopped giving. It continued, continues, continues to give all the time. It's a gift that continues to bless mankind to this day, 2,000 years later. It didn't just bless them in those days, but we received the blessing today. That's why we are here. And that gift that we have is something we call salvation. Something we didn't earn, we didn't deserve, we never merited. God has given it to us as a gift. Now let me just close on two points. To do good to people requires some inconvenience on your part and mine, does it not? To do good means you have to go out of you out of your way. And the greater the inconvenience, the greater the good. Because the more you have to sacrifice of your time, your effort, your whatever else it may be, the greater the good will be. Never sacrifice anything in your life. You will not do good to anyone else. You can't do good unless it brings along some inconvenience to you. And at Christmas time, we remember the greatest inconvenience that has ever existed, that has ever taken place. What inconvenience am I talking about? Well, there was a God who sat on a throne, who was adored by all of creation, who then decided... That he wanted to do good so much that he left a throne in heaven. Never having experienced pain, humiliation, rejection and all those things that we it's so common to us. He left his throne and said, I'm willing to go through that inconvenience. Because I want to do good to them. He left his throne... And found himself born in a stable. That's an inconvenience. Most of us would not allow our child to be born in a stable. That would be too much of an inconvenience for us. But God allowed his only son to be born in a stable. To be laid in a manger. Because he wanted to do good. So God went through the greatest inconvenience that anyone could ever go through. You and I will never match that inconvenience. We can't go out of our way that much that we even come close to that inconvenience. Luke chapter 6 verse 27 says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you, and unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. 
Now Jesus did exactly that when he came to this earth. That's the meaning of Christmas. The meaning of Christmas is that God chose in his freedom to do good to us. And he went through the greatest inconvenience, the death of his only son, to achieve that good for us. He saw it through to the end. And the second point is that communicating requires some form of loss to you in order for it to be proper communication. To communicate, which means to give. If it doesn't involve something that you value, what have you given? Think about that for a moment. If you give from something you don't want, is it really giving? True giving requires the loss of something you have that you hold valuable so that someone else might receive the benefit from that. Well, God gave the greatest thing that was of value to him, which was his son. Jesus gave the greatest thing which was of value to him, his own life. The continuation of that passage in Luke says, And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Jesus gave us his coat, his cloak, his life, in every part of him, so that we might be free. How wonderful and blessed we are that this Christmas we can think about that gift and we understand that gift. We understand the good that was done to us We understand what was given to us as a gift. Jesus Christ is God's unspeakable gift. We can spend the rest of eternity trying to understand God's good to us and God's communication with us. But ultimately, that rests in one person, Jesus Christ. For ages, songwriters and poets alike have attempted to describe God's glorious Christmas gift. Preachers around the world have preached unnumbered sermons trying to explain this gift but haven't even scratched the surface yet. And neither have I. When we contemplate the cause of believer to do good and to communicate, we must first understand and remember that it was God who first did good to us and communicated to us in such a way that we should remain forever inspired and challenged to rise to his standard. Our Saviour looked down upon our miserable estate and chose to do good to us. He chose to give himself to us. Let's never forget, especially during Christmas time, in fact every day, that we should seek to do good to others, friends, family, foes, believers, unbelievers. Let's communicate in a way that they see the love of Christ in us during Christmas and every other day of our lives. God bless you. Thank you. Merry Christmas.